0: Waves.
1: A lightning bolt.
0: One. Rocket engines.
1: A starship drive. Ooh, a good one. All of these things have one thing in common.
0: That's plasma.
1: Ugh, you sound a little bit more enthusiastic. Plasma.
0: <laughs> All right.
1: And I have a new handheld mobile device that uses said Plasma. How's that possible, you ask? Let's find out.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) new gadget alert. Yay! From know-how to wow. The Bosch Global Podcast. Shuko, tell us what you got there.
1: So what I have right now is a small wireless device about the size of an eyeglass case. It has a pretty smooth surface and you can see it only has one button to turn on and one USB port to charge the battery. This is called the Bosch Fresh Up.
0: And it's a one of a kind device I personally haven't seen anything like it uh, so Shuko please tell our dear listeners what does it freshen up
1: so this little thing freshens up textiles so let me turn it on
0: okay there you go so I can see what she's doing
1: yeah it, so the good thing is it doesn't make any sound so it's quite discreet okay, um, but, but it it's turns got a white on light. Exactly. So you will now see it's illuminated in white. Mm-hmm. And when I press it against my shirt, so here at the back side, you also have another kind of um, like line that you can press into the machine. Okay. And if I press it against the shirt I'm wearing, you'll see that it switches to a violet color.
0: Oh, yes, it does. So in the event that uh, your shirt was a little smelly, it, it would remove that smell. That's what you're telling me.
1: So obviously, because I am never smelly, it will not course, make any different. No, course. I'm joking. Hypothetical. Hypothetical. <laughs> so correct. It, if you swipe over it um, and the theoretical smells, they will then disappear. So it doesn't make a lot of sounds as well. Um, I don't know if you can hear this faint buzz.
0: Uh, no, I can't. And you're already pretty close to the mic, so I guess it is quite <laughs> quiet. But to be honest, uh, so far, overall, uh, it sounds kind of unbelievable. I mean, kind of a... It's almost like a magic wand, uh, but of course <laughs> yeah. it's Bosch, so there's no magic involved. It's all just good, good old fashioned engineering and cool tech. So we decided to have a closer look and tell you more about it.
1: So I share your fascination, Jeff. Um, I've had it for a few days now, and I can definitely confirm that it does work. Um, just how exactly is still a little bit of a mystery to me, to be honest. Um, so you know, what does the plasma do exactly, and how does it destroy orders? And not the fabric,
0: for example. My question is, how can you put plasma, as we said earlier, Mm -hmm. that stuff that's comprising flames and lightning bolts, how can you put that into a battery-powered, handheld, small device? So to answer some, if not all, of these questions, we reached out to one of our developers of FreshUp, Tobias Venda.
2: So the technology was invented by the Max Planck Institute.
1: Max Planck, that's a top-notch institution for fundamental research.
2: And they founded a company which is called Terraplasma and they offered us the technology and we developed then the appliance for this technology.
0: Tobias is an engineer at BSH.
1: BSH is a subsidiary of Bosch that makes household appliances, and they developed the fresh up based on this plasma technology.
0: Before Tobias worked on coffee machines, until a few years ago, when he got the chance to work on this very different product.
2: Also the innovativeness of the product, that it's something completely new, which nobody knows. So that's really one of its kind. So it was great to work on this, but not easy <laughs> at any time.
0: I'm sure. <laughs>
1: You can hear the enthusiasm in his voice, and yes, challenges, we love them, don't we?
0: Yes, we do, Uh, especially when there are smart solutions to them. But let's start at the beginning. What is plasma, and do you really have the fire of the sun in your little fresh-up, Shuko?
2: We are talking here about cold atmospheric plasma, so it's not the plasma from the sun, but it is plasma which you can create on a planet and you can make safe.
0: To put it simply, plasma is an ionized gas. It's composed of ions and free electrons all buzzing around.
1: One thing that I think I've heard before is that plasma is the fourth state of matter.
0: That's right. Uh, So when you start on the cold end, so that's with the solids. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And then you add some heat and the solid melts.
1: So we go from ice to water. Or if we talk about air from solid oxygen, for instance, to liquid oxygen.
0: Let's keep getting it hotter. To nobody's surprise, now we have a gas and the molecules are moving around freely.
1: That means if we want to get to the plasma stage, we just need to make it even hotter?
2: Yes, that's right. You need to increase the energy and then electrons are freed from this gas and then it's Free
0: electrons, which are really hot. So there you have it. Ions and free electrons, an ionized gas, or plasma.
1: But how hot is hot? I can use fresh up on clothes that I'm wearing on my body. So see, I can swipe over my arm and I don't feel a hot ionized gas.
0: Well, that's the thing. What is hot is the electrons themselves. And they're really hot. They have about 10,000 degree, up to, or 10,000 Kelvin. Which would be, in Fahrenheit, 18,000 degrees.
1: Always sounds bigger when you talk about it in Fahrenheit or in miles or feet. (laughs) Freedom units, come on. (laughs) (laughs) So let me look this up. So as a reference point, this might be actually helpful. Aluminium melts at 933.5 Kelvin and turns into gas at... 2,743 Kelvin. And here we're talking about, what was it again, 10,000 Kelvin?
0: Uh, again, for the electrons, yes. But the ions themselves don't heat up nearly as much. But in the mean, you do not feel that it is hot because the mass of
2: the ions is much greater than of the electrons.
0: You see, the electrons, they're so small and so lightweight that you can't actually feel them. They're not, They're not interacting with you. But the odor molecules, they are, you know, quote-unquote, feeling the electrons.
1: But so what happens when they interact?
0: Well, first, the electrons want to go somewhere, right? You know, they're, they're already bouncing around. Mm-hmm. And, of course, Shuko, you remember what happens when something is negatively charged.
1: It gets discharged when it comes in contact with something else.
0: There you go. High school physics.
1: <laughs>
2: if you pull off a woolen pullover, for example, then you see micro discharges or you um, get out of your car and... Touch the door, then you already felt it, I assume.
1: (laughs) Ouch! (laughs) Yes, especially when the air is dry in winter. Sometimes you can even see a little flash there.
0: And so, effectively, the same thing is exactly what's happening in the Fresh Up. There you have only very small lightning bolts, but many of them. They discharge into the Fresh Up's battery, so you don't feel anything. But these little mini lightning bolts are crucial to the functionality. They're basically electron beams.
2: And if there are molecules hit by these electron beams, like odor molecules or bacteria, they get burned or destroyed.
1: I thought it was only odors. Here we're talking about bacteria getting destroyed too.
0: Yes, also bacteria and viruses are inactivated as well. But the key use case for fresh up consumers is removing bad odors. And they're affected by this high energy electron beam in two ways. And the first of them it's called electron impact dissociation. And that's the impact of the electron breaking the bonds between the atoms within the molecule.
2: Or the molecule breaks into two pieces and that's not recognized as an odor anymore.
0: Breaking a smell molecule in half makes it not smell anymore.
1: That sounds amazing.
0: Yeah, and the other effect the electron beam can have has to do with its negative charge. An electron can practically merge with an odor molecule and thereby give it the negative charge. This is called the dissociative attachment. The odor molecule is broken up this way also.
1: Let me summarize. When I press my fresh up against my shirt... As I'm doing right now, it turns air into plasma, which means amongst other things, it generates a lot of hot, fast electrons. These electrons discharge in tiny mini lightning bolts, and those can hit and destroy other molecules.
0: Well sent, Shuko. <laughs> Get it? <Sent? laughs>
1: I how long have you been waiting
0: to place that? <laughs> I knew I was going to use it. I just didn't know where.
1: Dad no. joke. Well said, Dad Shuko. Joke. No,
0: that was, that was really... Uh, That was really well done. Um, I think that really gets the point across.
1: (laughs) However, I have more questions. So where is the plasma created exactly? So I'm looking really at this small phone-sized device, and I'm wondering how and why do the electrons not destroy my T-shirts? But what's on my mind right now, the odors break up or react, creating other molecules that don't smell. But why don't they? And what makes a molecule smell in the first place? To answer some of those questions, let me bring in Antonia Bierling.
0: Bierling. What a great name. (laughs) (laughs) Möchtest du ein Bierling? Yeah.
3: Uh, We were found that small molecules seem to have rather unpleasant odors more often, while large and complex molecules are rather pleasant.
1: Antonia is a researcher at both the University of Dresden and the University of Vienna. But she says just looking at the size or complexity of a molecule doesn't give much away in terms of what our noses make of it.
3: That affection is more complex than other sensory dimensions. For example, in vision, you have the wavelength of the light, and you know that this corresponds to um, color perception.
0: So some of our listeners might even know from reference already. So for about 450 nanometers, something is going to look blue. But in the 700 range, again nanometers, something will appear red.
3: Fits our
1: shirts today.
3: In olfaction, this is more difficult because you can't say the longer the carbon atom chain is, the more it smells fruity or something. This simply doesn't exist. So it seems to be in a high dimensional space. So you need to know a lot of different descriptors about this molecule to be able to make some predictions.
1: Other researchers do, in fact, try to find ways to understand from the structure of a molecule what it might smell like. But it's really difficult. Minor variations of a molecule can have a big impact on how it smells. It can go from onion-like, for example, to tropical. On the other hand, even if molecules are almost like identical twins, our noses can tell them apart.
3: For example, even mirror isomers, which is, I mean, in any terms, like the same molecule but the mirrored version of it, even they can result in a different odor perception. This is uh, the case, for example, for centrinol and bactanol, which are both sandalwood odors, but you can tell a difference. So if you sniff at both, you can distinguish them. And yeah, I think this is really crazy that this works, and I think nobody can really explain this until <laughs> today.
0: It's fascinating how different that is. Like when we started with the with the light example, mm. because then you're you're simply talking about a wave. Yeah, and the wave is a wave is a wave, and then the length would be different. Mm-hmm. But here, with all of the different variations that can be perceived, and even when it's as she's mentioned, just a mirror of it, that that perception is different. Mm exactly what she said. You have to look at it at some higher dimensional space. It's really wild.
1: And it gets even wilder. Antonia says that there's not even a database where you can look up what something smells like to people. You know, like you were giving the example of the reds and the blues, depending on the nanometers. Here you don't have anything. There's only data collected from experts like perfumers or wine experts, for example, but not from everyday people. And that's important because people perceive smells differently. Antonia learned that from an early study with approximately 2,000 participants. Not everybody agreed on the intensity or uh, on the pleasantness of the odor she tested.
3: So even for diacetyl, which is really, really unpleasant for a lot of people... You find some people who say that the odor is like a six or seven of a scale from zero, like very unpleasant, to nine, which means very pleasant. And actually, I told this one of my chemist colleagues at work, and he did not want to believe me that people would give this a six or a seven. He was uh, kind of uh, worrying for the uh, mental health of these participants, Um, (laughs) because in his opinion, it's like a minus 10 on a scale from zero to nine.
0: (laughs) It's kind of amazing that we can't even agree on what smells good and what smells bad. So yeah, I guess the idea of having an odor database wouldn't really work.
1: That's why it shouldn't surprise you that Antonia is not a chemist, but a psychologist. So she says the pleasantness of a smell to a large degree depends on the context. Um, also, it can flip. You can really like something today and potentially hate it tomorrow.
3: If you like an odor, it's very much dependent on what experience we have made with an odor. For example, the most people will always have a hard time liking the smell of food which they had eaten just before they had some food poisoning or gastrointestinal gastrointestinal infect. This is an experience which is very hard to get rid of. Even it is, it was your favorite meal before, it's very hard to get rid of that.
0: I can actually, I, I actually know exactly what she means with that. Um, for example, at my, at my grandparents' house down in Dallas, Texas, they have these bushes that go uh, all the way around the perimeter of their backyard. And I, I don't know what kind of plant this is, but it has just this very distinct smell. And occasionally, uh, so that, that plant is not so common up here in the north, but occasionally I'll walk past one, especially in the summertime mm-hmm. and I'll get that smell. And I feel like I'm in Dallas at that moment. It's, it's so weird, but it's great. It's a, it's a lovely, uh, little surprise piece of nostalgia that I get to have every once in a while. It's cool.
1: <laughs> but, uh, I'm fascinated by how many mysteries orders hold, um, for even things like science, And Antonia wants to solve some of these mysteries, um, and she hoped to eventually turn her findings into an electronic nose. So she already works on it together with a team of scientists. However, one thing she told us about, I want to try actually myself. She said that it could make a difference whether you smell a scent from a bottle or a test strip, or whether you have the real thing in front of you that you can also touch and see. So, I invited a fan of our From Know How to Wow uh, podcast uh, into my little recording studio um, at home. Lucas? He didn't hear me.
0: <laughs> Lucas. Hi, everyone. <laughs>
1: um, so, Lucas, I asked you to bring some, yeah, I call them smelly things, so things with some smells. And um, so for the little experiment, I actually have a blindfold and Lucas will um, basically put them under my nose and I will have to have to guess what the smell is. I,
0: I gather you and Lucas have a trusting relationship.
1: <laughs> uh, we, we, we'd say that, yes. I'm,
0: I'm happy to hear this. Well, you're, um, you're safe because I, I at least have, have uh, eyes on you. So if he's doing you. something, you know, I can, I can give you a little warning. <laughs>
1: my podcast partner in crime
0: That's right. All right, Shuku. So,
2: the first thing is Now you can smell?
1: Okay. <laughs> I feel like I want to eat that.
0: <laughs> I don't recommend that.
1: Really not? It smells like cheese though.
0: Oh god. The, the video quality <laughs> looked, it looked like a bar of soap. Strana <laughs> Yay.
1: See, I wasn't far from it.
2: <laughs> okay, the second item.
1: Oh, this is, oh my God. <laughs> so I don't think people will actually know what this is.
0: I can see it and I don't know what that is.
1: My grandmother in Japan, she makes her very own Umeboshi. Yeah. And umeboshi is like pickled plum, I would say, put crudely, Ooh. that we can eat with rice. We can put in like onigiris, which are the rice bowls. And this smell, the minute I smell it, I have also foaming behind, like in my mouth, because I know exactly Ooh. how good and how sour this thing is as well. And this has accompanied me through my whole childhood. That's cool. And now it's really embarrassing if I'm wrong. No, I'm wrong. <laughs>
0: it was right, yeah.
2: Next one. Hmm.
1: That was my finger. (laughs) Okay, sorry. Oh, gross. We babysit the dogs of all of our friends, and we happen to have quite a lot of snacks. And I would bet that that is the dried chicken hearts that we have for happy.
0: That's correct.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much.
0: You're welcome. Bye-bye. See you, Lucas.
1: So I'm really currently a little bit disgusted with the last smell. I wish I could use the fresh up on my nostrils right now.
0: Oh, wait, no, please do not do that. (laughs) And so while you are not using it on your nose, uh, let's hear some more from Tobias about the development of fresh up and its working principles.
1: Yes, please. And I really want to know how do you heat up electrons to 10,000 degrees?
0: Uh, To be fair, uh, electrons always have a very high temperature. I mean, we're talking about 8,000 Kelvin already, Mm -hmm. just anyway. But yeah, that additional 2,000, that's still something. This is done by a high-voltage, high-frequency electric field. So, alternating current, going back and forth really fast.
2: We are talking about 4,000 volt peak-to-peak with 50 kilohertz
0: sinus. And now, typically, in a power grid, you have 50 or 60 hertz, But pay attention, because Tobias is talking about kilohertz.
1: So wait, 50,000 back and forth movements per second?
0: Yeah. So the air is starting to oscillate. Fresh Up shakes the air molecules in front of the device. Well, the electrons.
2: But the electrons will be accelerated until they can break free, because the kinetic energy is higher than their binding energy. The remaining ions are too heavy to follow the oscillation. They have a very high mass and cannot follow these direction changes um, all the time. And the back and
0: forth is too fast for them.
1: Until they can break free. I almost have this kind of like, I want to break free. <laughs> I want to break free.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, and there we have it. Plasma, ionized gas, ionized air, actually, in this case.
0: Wow. The free electrons, when they hit a neutral air molecule, they can ionize it and produce more free electrons. This initiates an avalanche of charges, and these are our mini lightning bolts.
1: But did I get that right? You said this happens to the air outside the device. So the plasma is not inside the fresh up?
0: That's exactly right. When you press fresh up up against a textile, there is air between the fibers of the textile itself that air will be ionized, plasmarized, if you will.
1: Oh, so the plasma is created inside the fabric, where the electron beams then attack the odor molecules.
0: Right. And by the way, this might be the reason why Fresh Up doesn't work on leather.
2: So leather is skin, basically, and skin is a membrane and does not allow electron beams to pass. This is my
0: theory, but I cannot... Prove it. Also, fur doesn't seem to cooperate with fresh up either. Uh, but any woven textile should work. So, sorry, where were we?
1: We were talking about electric field. Ah. I'm still wondering how the plasma gets created outside of the Bosch fresh up. How does it create an electric field in front of itself?
0: Well, the basic principle is rather simple.
2: The plasma source is basically a capacitor.
0: Uh, just a simple capacitor like we heard about in physics class.
2: On the inner side of the plasma source, you have
0: the high-voltage electrode, and on the
2: outer side, you have a ground electrode.
0: If you look at the bottom side of your fresh-up, Shuko, you can see that there is the ground electrode.
1: So I've turned it around. We're talking about this one golden strip going down from top to
0: bottom. That's the one. Yes, exactly. And it's Actual real gold, by the way. Oh, wow. So take care of that thing. <laughs> now, here's the trick to make the field reach out of the device and not just stay between the two electrodes inside the fresh up.
2: If you have a capacitor with one plate very small and the other one normal, then you have a nonlinear capacitor. So you have the stray field around the outer electrode, which is the small one.
0: The ground electrode that you can see is much smaller than the inner electrode. This makes the field lines bend and curve, and they create arcs that go beyond the electrode itself. In that area, the field lines are very close together. It might be a little hard to imagine, but what you need to know is... In this area,
2: the field strength gets very high, and there is the plasma created.
1: So the electric field is strongest... Right on the outer surface of the Fresh Up.
0: Perfect. Thank goodness for our Bosch engineers. Really, what would we do without them?
1: Smell worse?
0: Uh, (laughs) 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 Okay. Uh, Anyway, to get to the point that Fresh Up just works wasn't easy. It starts with the fact that this is a handheld and wireless device, so no wall plug, Mm -mm. and yet it's using fairly high voltage. Which is
2: created out of a 3.6 volt lithium ion battery.
0: The small direct current from a pretty standard battery is converted to 4,000 volts high-frequency alternating current.
1: But to bring up the voltage, they can just use a transformer, right?
0: Yeah,
2: there's nothing special there. We have a nearly standard transformer with 10 to 1,400 windings, so 1,400 windings on the secondary side.
0: Now next, in order to turn DC into AC, you need something called an LC circuit or oscillating circuit. That turns the even direct current into an oscillating alternating current. Picture a sine wave. Got it, Chuko? Again, Got it. high school physics, <laughs> sine wave. Now, collect the plasma source and you're done.
1: Mm, what's the catch?
0: Well, the catch is that Tobias and his coworkers couldn't very well measure the alternating current they created. We have the plasma source, which has about 5 picofarads capacity. Remember, a plasma source is really quite simply a capacitor.
2: And all high-voltage probes, which you need to measure the high voltage, also has about 5 picofarads. This means you get a huge measurement area if you want to measure the plasma voltage. There are no probes on the market which have much lower capacities of 5 picofarads.
0: Which basically means... Connecting the probe to the system changes the system so much that you can't really measure it. You also changed the tuning of the plasma source with this, or of
2: the high-voltage creation. And this made it very difficult to get the right values and set the right values. So we had to tune it, and by not being able to measure it, it was also hard to tune it. (laughs)
1: Sounds really tricky.
0: Yeah, it is. And one thing they could do to solve it Tobias says, was literally eyeballing it. Okay. You can visually see how intense the plasma is depending on how you tune the system. But they also used a slightly more technical approach.
2: So we set up models, simple models, and put them together and built up a theory and made tests. If we could confirm it, this is the behavior of the plasma source or of the high-voltage creation circuit. And step for step, we came closer to this behavior And it was quite interesting.
0: They figured it out because they arrived at a working solution. It works quite well. But what the voltage really is, is just a best guess.
2: But you can only estimate the
0: high voltage output still.
1: Well, it sounds good enough.
0: Yeah, so that, that problem is solved. There is, however, another reminder of what we learned in high school physics. What happens when you bring some material into an electric field of a capacitor?
1: It changes the capacity, doesn't it?
0: That's exactly what happened. Yes! So, when your fabric gets into the FreshUp's plasma field, as it's supposed to, unfortunately, that changes the capacity of the plasma source, which, during the development, had the effect that the prototype would overheat and turn off.
2: We found out that the load of the plasma source, the capacitive load, is transferred back to the primary side of the transformer and is detuning our system and just was the first months, the biggest problem that we could create at the high voltage, but every time something came near to the plasma source, the voltage broke down and plasma didn't ignite anymore.
0: It sounds like the laws of physics were just against the fresh up working at all.
1: But What was then the solution to that? Because last I checked, you can't really change the laws of physics.
0: (laughs) That is very accurate, yes. Um, To find the solution, uh, Tobias and the team at BSH as well, with their partner at Terra Plasma, they had to take a close look at what was really going on. And they realized that the change capacity of the plasma source created some sort of feedback in the system. All the way back to where the transformation of the voltage was actually happening. And this was changing the
2: values of the serial oscillating circuit we have to create the sinus. And detuned or tuned it into
0: a resonance. Now, maybe you've heard the term resonance disaster. Uh, it can happen, for example, when you throw a party and everybody jumps in the rhythm of the music. And when they happen to jump roughly at the resonance frequency of the building, it can collapse. And this can actually really happen.
1: But I'm not sure I knew that a similar effect can occur in electric circuits. Mm -hmm. Though I can definitely see um, that this was a resonance disaster for the Fresh Up team.
0: Resonance and the oscillating circuit had a series of effects on their system, actually.
2: This means in a serial oscillation circuit that the current goes up and this means our coil of the serial circuit was getting warm and could not handle the power anymore or the resistance increased and there was no power at our transformer anymore but everything was on coil.
1: All right so when resonance causes all of these issues can you even stop it from happening? What's the equivalent of The soldiers not marching in step when crossing a bridge, for example.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, Changing the frequencies, or uh, as it's called, tuning, or even more precisely, detuning. So we also had to detune this in addition to the parallel circuit
2: of the plasma source with the transformer. And this was the challenging thing on the whole development time. The most challenging
0: thing. There were some other challenges too, but as we know, Tobias and the team found all the solutions so that Fresh Up is now a product you can buy.
1: With a little side note, because if so, you can buy it if you live in Germany, Austria, or the UK, France, Portugal, Spain, or in China. And only on the website. So just click on the Fresh Up website.
0: The link, of course, dear listeners, is in the show notes, and I'm sure it'll be available in other countries soon.
1: So as said, I've had the fresh up and uh, and have been able to use it on quite a few different textiles. Um, one of the things I try to tend to use it for is, um, you know, after having been in the canteen, for example, and your clothes smell uh, quite often of the food Ooh. that has been cooked or eaten. Yeah. Um, and I'm about to go into a meeting or into a place where I don't necessarily want to to smell that much of what I've just had for lunch. Um, and I have to admit, I've been actually quite positively surprised at how refreshed, let's say, I would um, I would smell after. You know, the thing is, again, because the Fresh Up is so small, I can carry it in my bag and it wouldn't make any difference because the it's like having a second or third phone with you.
0: Yeah, I'm surprised at the size of it.
1: Uh, but what would you use a Fresh Up for, Jeff?
0: Oh, I I know exactly. Crypto has his has his favorite bed with his blanket on it. Crypto's my dog. Listeners and uh, yeah, he's got his favorite place, but he's a dog, so they come with you know a very uh, distinct smell. smell? <laughs> so yeah, rather than uh, fouling up my washing machine with all his hair, that uh, I think the fresh up would be a nice little a little tool to draw out those wash cycles.
1: I have some things in my closet too that are I would say really delicate, a little bit more like cashmere, and I have to admit, I'm I'm you know when we're talking about high energy electron beams that can destroy odor molecules. I'm still really afraid that it could destroy, um, you know, fabric molecules. Uh,
0: well, Tobias says no. He says that the fabric itself isn't affected at all. Even though, of course, the plasma can't distinguish between a, a smell molecule or a molecule of, of fabric. Mm. Um, it does interact with everything.
2: It interacts with everything. you are right there. But smells are not very stable molecules. They react on their own and destroy themselves after some time. You know, that smells go away after some time. And these are very easy to destroy. That's why we mostly destroy these smelling compounds or odors and fixed material or stable material is not affected by these electron beams.
0: And by the way, Tobias uses fresh up himself I course. wouldn't
1: have expected anything else oh, of
0: course and and while it was designed with business travelers in mind, you know traveling with with small luggage like like you just mentioned in your example mm-hmm. um, they might appreciate a freshened up shirt
1: yeah, I could imagine um even though it's not really my type of thing, but a camping trip, for
0: example, yep, yeah, good example, good example and and while those are the the main target groups, Tobias speaks out a truth that probably many of us can relate to
2: well I use it. It's my chair trope, it's so called. Um, it's my a chair in my bedroom where all cloths lay, which I had on once, but they are not really smelling fresh, but they are not dirty. And so I can use the appliance to fresh them up and wear them again. I'd never heard
0: it.
1: Neither have I. I love the fact that we have a now coined term for the clothing that are on the chairs because this chair you can find in all bedrooms
0: yeah chair (laughs) wardrobes. i like it from know-how to wow the bosch global podcast
1: so where do you keep your winter clothes jeff
0: oh just in the back of the closet you know just in the rotation
1: So it's summer now in the Northern Hemisphere, but... Indeed it is. (laughs) But the next winter will come. And to get ready for it, maybe we can talk about upgrading your heating?
0: That sounds like a good idea.
1: (laughs) In the next episode, we'll look at heating from a data perspective.
0: Uh, Data is the new oil after all. So, Shuko, I'll talk to you next month.
3: Bye.